Another episode of the Feminist Mormon Housewives Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay, bringing you another episode in the Year of Ligamy series where we try to understand the practice of Mormon plural marriage and how it was lived out. And I'm really excited because I have a good friend coming on today, uh, Corey Howard, and she's been really helpful to me in getting a lot of research done. She's a genealogist in Salt Lake City and she is just really, really good at this. So, Corey, can you say hello? Hi. Will you tell us a little bit about yourself and why, how you got interested in this topic? Well, I grew up in a Mormon family with all the usual pioneer stories and doing genealogy with my family when I was little. And all my mom took me to the genealogy library and had me look for names. And so, um, and then when I started paying more attention to some more details, I found some really interesting stories in my family history and I was hooked. And you know, a lot of it takes place in Utah, so sometimes you read a historical incident and it ties in the, into my own family, so and yeah. I think I'm just nosy. <laughs> I think you and I are, are similar in that way, and so it's been fun. Uh, Corey's always like, hey, if you, if you want something from the archives, let me know. And so I'll just, we've been messaging each other randomly about the strangest things, I think, but I'll be like, hey, do you, can you read someone's <laughs> diary for me? So it's been really great. So I appreciate all your help. That's fun. So today we're going to be talking about one of the wives of Brigham Young. Now, I have just recorded before this an episode with uh, Brigham Young's wife's biographer, Jeffrey Johnson, and we talked about this wife a little bit, but I was hoping that we could dig into her story a little bit more because I first came, you know, when I was doing the Southern Utah per- period parts, I came across her name in the writings of John D. Lee, because of course John D. Lee claims that he was in love with this woman and wanted to marry her, but Brigham, being a higher priesthood authority, got her instead, and he was then given also a beautiful woman, but not quite as beautiful as this woman, her sister. And the women that I'm talking about are Emmeline Free, and uh, Emmeline Free was the man that John D. Lee, or was the woman that John D. Lee wanted to marry, but of course Brigham Young got her. And he married Louisa Free instead. And that was that horrible quote that we read with Joe Geisner about him going home and frigging Louisa Free 20 times in a day. And eventually they get divorced. And John D. Lee claims it's because her family uh, was upset that she was married to a man of lower priesthood. But today we're going to talk about Emmeline Free. And Corey has done a lot of research on her life. And she was said to be one of the favorite wives of Brigham Young. So, Corey, bring us in and tell us a little bit about her. Well, she was, she came into the story of Mormonism pretty early. Her family were early converts. And so when she, she met Brigham Young in Nauvoo. And then that's, that was how they, where they met and, um, when he decided he was in love with her and they got married. Her family didn't really, they weren't real happy about it, though, because her parents, when they converted, still weren't, they didn't approve of polygamy at that time. And her family was well-to-do, right? They had a lot of money? 
Yes, even um, they before they joined the church in um, they where they had originally lived. They had in in Illinois. They were really well off farmers, and they had had a large home. And that's kind of how Mormonism came into their lives is um, Absalom Free, Emmeline's father, was already regularly hosting religious meetings in his house because it was so big. And they would have um, camp meetings, Methodist camp meetings at his home, um, and uh, where the people would be very, very fervent in their, you know, the kind of like similar to holy roller kind of displays of 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 religious feeling but the mother uh, Betsy Strait she wasn't she wasn't a methodist she was a baptist and she kind of, she didn't approve of the methodist <laughs> behavior in the meetings she would do her best as the hostess of the home to take care of people but she thought that they were the quote that her one of the family histories says that they thought they were foolish and even wicked to carry on so because some of them had to be carried home at the end of the meetings. But <laughs> so yeah, they they would move from Illinois and build another home in Far West and build another home in Nauvoo, and they had enough money apparently to be able to build these homes and pick up and leave and build more homes each time they moved. So Emmeline would be around for the violent part of Mormon history, the Hans Mill Massacre and all the Missouri wars and, and those things. Yeah. She, um, they, in, again, in the family histories, they say that she was, that she and some of the other kids, uh, managed to hide and avoid the violence on themselves by hiding in the cornfields. And, and that seemed pretty familiar to me. I think I've heard a few, uh, stories of kids and people hiding in the cornfields during the massacre and surviving. Yeah, I've also, heard that family yeah. too. I mean, I've heard that story as well. Yeah. the um, One of the other stories from the Hans Mill that ties into Emmeline's or, uh, family is the young in the, I think, was it in the printing press shop when there were um, two young, two young boys that were, you know, faced the, the mob Two, I don't know, some of the members of the mob came in there and they shot and killed the one boy and the other boy, Alma Smith, he didn't die, but, um, he event, he was shot and wounded pretty heavily. But when he grew up, he ended up marrying one of Emmeline's sisters. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that piece. I had heard that story before. It's actually a story that's used quite a bit about this child being shot. And so I didn't know that Emmeline was connected in that way. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're kind of deep in there with all the history. <laughs> so tell us about so. Nauvoo. So we know that they, they started in Illinois and Ohio and Missouri, and then they moved to Nauvoo. Yeah, they um they relocated. after. Okay, they went to Missouri, and after the massacre, they went back to Illinois for just a little bit. But then um, when everyone was going to Nauvoo, they went with the Saints and relocated there and built a new home. This is when uh, Emmeline would meet Brigham and... Like you say, the, I don't know, uh, it goes, the story goes that she met John D. Lee first, but then Brigham, like you said, wanted her, and she was flattered. Even in her, it, one of the things I think is interesting, when you read uh, family histories of people, and they're told by different descendants, you get a different take on how they felt about it. Some of the family histories write about what a wonderful thing this was, that Brigham Young wanted Emmeline. 
and it was great. And then another recorder writes that the tone that she writes kind of lets you know she didn't approve of, the author didn't approve of polygamy either because she quotes Analyza Webb saying that um, Emmeline was so flattered because she was brought up believing that Brigham Young was close to deity. So she was flattered. Of course, he's a leader, and then she and she married him. And she was uh, 19, and he was 44. And she was said to be beautiful, and she had a lot of options. And, of course, what you spoke to is something in, it's mostly an anthropological term called positionality, but where the where the writer of history sort of shows their bias. And mm-hmm. in that is history itself, right? I mean, yeah. depending on the different histories and where they're writing from, whether they're adverse to polygamy or supportive of it, it kind of also lets us know about their perspective. Yep. And so, and they, I didn't uh, find a whole lot about Nauvoo, but other than this, the, the marriage and the negotiation with John D. Lee that, he would get, Brigham Young told him that he would be upheld, that he would uphold John D. Lee in all time and eternity as long as they made this, he went along with this arrangement for Brigham to get Emmeline and John D. Lee to get Louisa. Interesting. And of course, that would play out later on in very interesting yeah. ways for John D. Lee. But mm-hmm. it's her, it seems like her father was really prominent and he was involved. They trusted him with a lot of the wagon trains coming west. Yeah. In, um, he had 10 wagons in in Brigham Young's own company when Emmeline and, like, when I looked at the list of people in that company, 13 women were mentioned as Brigham Young's wives in that, in that company. And Absalom had, had uh, leadership over 10, 10 wagons. And yeah, in so, your writing you say that... Uh, the livestock inventory was listed at 74 horses, 19 mules, uh, 1,275 oxen, 699 cows, 184 loose cattle, 411 sheep, 141 pigs, 605 chickens, 37 cats, 82 dogs, 3 goats, 10 geese, 1 hive of bees, bees, 8 doves, and 1 crow, which is fascinating because in my mind when I picture the saints coming west, I don't picture all these animals. No, no, I mean... It makes sense that they would have bees, and once they say it, it's not that surprising. And the crow, <laughs> I guess that must have been someone's pet. But yeah, you don't think of, I mean, how did you keep everyone together and, and you know, traveling like that? So, but yeah, they, um, the stories uh, that you can find about that party are pretty interesting. Emmeline didn't keep a journal herself that anyone that I could find. Um, but another person in the party, uh, Catherine Woolley, she kept a journal, and um, she told a story about when they were near Fort Laramie, which was also interesting to me that I've always kind of pictured them traveling and every day getting up, packing up, and traveling somewhere new, like getting a little closer. Every, t- every day, just getting a little closer to Salt Lake. But from the record of this, they were in Fort Laramie for a few days or, you know, in this area, so I guess they were regrouping. But she... uh she writes that on Sunday the 23rd, we are right behind the bluffs. Oh, right, excuse me. We are right between the bluffs, and they look mighty blue to me. I feel terrible lonesome. Samuel is off fishing, Arthur herding, Elizabeth ironing, and I am baking. Samuel caught 14 fish, gave E.D. 5, 
Ellen, too, for their supper. Susan Snively, Emily Free, and Margaret Alley stopped in to see me this afternoon. I treated them with saleratus beer. I took Bub, who is Samuel Henry Woolley, and went to see Mrs. Bullock. She played the accordion for him. He was much pleased with the music. It was charming. Got ready for bed. Prayer meeting in the corral. They had beer, huh? Yeah. Um, sal- I didn't know. I'd heard of saleratus before, but I didn't know you that they made beer out of it. So explain to um, us what that is. What is saleratus? It's, it's, uh, okay, it's a chalk-like powder, and they used it in leavening for, like, a baking soda. But my grandma told me stories about her grandmother going out, and they would go out in the fields where it, it accumulates on the ground, and they would gather it up and and take it home and use it for a baking soda. And it, they had to... It says here, I got a description of it. it, says to make it, pearl ash had carbonic acid added to it and changed, it changed the property of, of the, one of the chemicals so that it was then usable for a leavener. But I did read, so it wasn't really looked at as healthy. <laughs> and to make, and one of the pro, but one of the, uh, one of the cast offs of the process would be, they would let it ferment. And so I guess if you didn't let it dry all the way out, that was where you got the beer. That sounds terrible. It does. It sounds nasty. <laughs> well, I, I noticed in that in that journal entry that you mentioned that she says, Susan Snively, Emily Free, and Margaret Alley stopped by to see me this afternoon. And those, it's interesting those women would travel together because those were wives of Brigham Young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, I can't keep track of them all. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and I read... I'm trying to think who I read it from, but they were talking along the trail was when some of the friendships were made between some of the wives, um, you know, and they, I think that kind of translated later into what rooms they ended up sharing. So tell us more uh, about coming across the plains. You have some interesting things in here. Well, um, one of the most dangerous things you could do when you were traveling across country in a wagon train was to actually ride in the wagon. The, uh, you know, these are the the terrain is uneven. Um, I even if I go out driving in some of the unpopulated part of Utah, it looks a little rough. <laughs> and the wheels on the wagon are are wood, so there's no there's no shocks, there's no axles, and there's no rubber tires. So everywhere they went, it was bumpy, and uh, people would fall off the wagon and either be seriously injured or sometimes even die. And this almost happened to Emmeline's little sister. She was less than four years old, and she was riding on the wagon and fell out. And her head, just as she fell out, the wagon was still moving. So her head fell right in front of the wheel, and no one had time to get to her. But the wheel just rolled right over her. And it apparently her head had fallen into a hole. And when the wheel went over, it had just enough clearance not to injure her. And she got up and she was just fine, which is another one of these stories that sounds familiar to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, surely. <laughs> well, I mean, those are the kind of stories that, that would be told in testimony meaning. But what they mm-hmm. wouldn't tell are the stories like Todd Compton, I believe, talks in his book, one of Joseph Smith's wives, and again, I forget who, um, but she had a baby that was run over by a wagon wheel, and then they tried to shape the baby's head back together, and the baby actually survived. 
Hmm, which one was that? I can't remember. <laughs> it's in yeah. it's in Sacred Loneliness. So look that oh, one. Up. I will. So tell us more about. Um, so she gets to Salt Lake. What happens? Um, well, she uh, she was originally. You know, they when they get the homes, the final. I'm not sure where they lived until the Lion House was built. He had several homes. But she was in the lion house and she was pretty clearly, it, it, it was pretty clear that she was one of his favorite wives. Um, I'm not sure if it's cause or effect. She ended up having, bearing him more children than any other wife. So that might be. <laughs> but, um, Susan Young Gates talks a lot about her and she, it said, and she said that, um, Brigham Young was proud of Emmeline for her elegant ways and he would dance with her at parties especially the ones where visiting people would come to, and that he preferred Emmeline for her, and this is Susie Younggates, for her, quote, beauty, quick wit, and tactful approach. And another story that gets told is that the kids of all the other wives knew if they wanted anything special or out of the ordinary, if they asked Aunt Emmeline, they had a better chance to get it because she had a little more pull with Brigham. Yeah, it's interesting because I was talking to... Jeffrey Johnson about Emmeline a little bit because I had earlier said on an earlier episode, this, this source comes from Van Wagner's book, Mormon Polygamy. And he talks about women, really the wife's kind of really resenting this favoritism and that when he, Brigham marries Amelia Folsom, Emmeline really, really struggles with this. And, you know, there's this quote about Brigham knows not to go in the room that she's in because she will, you know, Emmeline will tear his eyes out. And it's said that it like possessed her with jealousy. But Jeffrey, Jeffrey says that he didn't see anywhere in her personal firsthand accounts of her being jealous. Yeah. There's, I, I don't think there's very many firsthand accounts of Emmeline. Um, they also in Van Wagner, I think, or no, it was a different one. Um, in Pioneer Prophet. There's he uh, Turner mentions that there's an anon- an anonymous Valentine that was found in you know it's in Brigham Young's papers and they don't know for sure who who wrote it but they they think it's a good chance that it was Emmeline because um, in the verse she mentioned seeing her husband and his new consort at the stately new Salt Lake Theater. And mockingly observed how, quote, young he had grown of late. She also questioned her husband's judgment, quote, that she had no reason to murmur. Um, but they don't have, or he, he said he wasn't able to find any other handwriting examples of Emmeline's to compare it with. So there's still a speculation, but, um, but yeah, and Amelia kind of threw Emmeline out of position. And we know that Anna Eliza Webb, who becomes a big critic of Brigham Young later on, would say uh, that she really struggled too. Emmeline struggled. Yeah, there was. there's this story about, I guess, Emmeline was excited because Brigham showed up and said he was going to take her somewhere, but Amelia came in on the train right then, and all of a sudden he forgot all about Emmeline. And so according to Ann Eliza, Emmeline and she spent the night talking, and Emmeline disclosed many personal things that she's not at liberty to share ever. So, oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. 
So. Um, well, tell us about, uh, it's reported that she got her own home. Yeah, he, uh, um, she had so many kids. I don't, uh, she had, uh, I think, six of them at least by the time um, it was just, Brigham decided he would put her in her own home and he bought Jedediah Grant's house, which Jedediah Grant was one of his counselors. He was, um, he was really like a fire and brimstone kind of person that was involved in the Reformation. Oh yeah, read but, his, read his sermons and journal discourses if you want your skin to crawl. Yeah, yeah. And so he, he died. I think they said he died because he was too um, enthusiastic about baptisms in cold water and he ended up dying of pneumonia. Um, <laughs> but so he has, there's this house that Brigham Young buys and it's where the ZCMI is now, I think. I was trying to figure out if ZCMI moved or if the current ZCMI is the same one or not. But anyway, right about there is where the house was. And so he put her up there and she's listed on the... 1860 census living there and it's shortly after that that Amelia shows up but um and then but and Brigham doesn't stay at the house nearly as much after that so that's when we have accounts of her feeling jealous yeah and I I mean and I imagine because she wasn't very old she was only 36 I think and but again from his perspective and especially someone who's used to getting all that attention here's a younger woman that doesn't have any kids no distractions and can keep herself all tidy and you know listen devotedly to everything he says so well i'm gonna read a quote from your document and i hope it's okay if i link this Mm -hmm. on the site you say a newspaper item titled brigham's abandoned pet Running in the Waterton Reformer said, quote, When a lady friend sympathized with Aunt Mary Ann, Brigham Young's first wife on his devotions to Amelia, she learned that there was a sweet mixture with the bitter. Emmeline was having her turn now, she said, and going through what she had caused others to suffer, which is also the account that I read in Van Wagner's Plumy. Yeah. Yeah, that is, it seems pretty, um, pretty much established. And Susie Young Gates kind of refers to it too. Saying that, you know, Brigham Young just really couldn't pay proper attention to so many women. And that, you know, that excerpt that you write points out something that I think that we fail to remember. Even though the saints were quite isolated, they were really famous. I mean, especially Brigham Young and his wife, they were written about in national papers all over the time, contemporary national papers. And so these mm-hmm. women had people coming there to interview them and, you know, and interview Brigham. And they were talked about in the society pa- papers quite a bit. Oh, yeah. I mean, several other wives, too, that were active in, you know, women's rights. Um, suffrage. Yeah, suffrage. There we go. <laughs> you know, and so they were they were intentionally seeking, some of them were seeking spotlight and, and a place to s- state their views. So, yeah, they were, they were definitely in the paper. So we know that Emmeline was a devoted mother and she raised her kids, but uh, it affected her health, right? She got sick as time went on. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting because I don't know um, what she was ill with at the end, but um, one of the real common treatments for almost anything um, back then would have been something like laudanum because what I've, what is written about her that I hadn't put in before 
um, because I didn't run across it till now, and this is from D. Michael Quinn, that she, ha- when, that, and, and Susie Young Gates, but that Emmeline had ended up being, quote, according to Susie Young Gates, a dope fiend in her later years. Interesting. Because, um, then, and I had run across, across a quote in the family histories. All they said about Brigham Young's comments at her funeral were, was that they were, his words were, quote, most instructive and edifying. But D. Michael Quinn says a little more. He says, after Brigham's counselor, Daniel H. Wells, eulogizes Emmeline Free Young, Brigham Young stunned those at the funeral by instructing her children and grandchildren to not follow in his plural wife's bad example. And Susie Young Gates wow. wrote in My Father's Wives that Aunt Emmeline became addicted to morphine in the later years of her life. So which I don't was, know what Which was illness. fairly common among the frontier, right? This was something oh, yeah. that a lot of people struggled with, becoming an opium addict, a lot of men addicts, um, because like yeah. you said, they prescribed it for everything. Oh, sure. It cured everything. You felt great. And then all of a sudden when you didn't have it, you were sick. I have an old medical book that has a recipe in it for laudanum, and it's morphine in an alcohol base. So sure, you're going to be, you're going to think you feel fine. Well, um, I don't know if that's word of wisdom approved. (laughs) Uh, well, and, and I, I'm not able to find the, the right, uh, context for it, but in one of the letters that they did have that Brigham wrote to Emmeline when she wasn't well, was he he advised that she let herself ferment and I don't know and that was shortly before she died and I I don't know if that would have been a term for was he trying to tell her to you know, sweat, to go through detox? I don't know, you know but... Interesting Yeah. Oh, so where where is she buried? She's buried in Brigham Young's private cemetery. She, you know, he, he didn't disown her. Yeah, this is so great. I'm going to, again, you've written this essay. I'm going to publish it on the site if that's okay with you. Sure. But I really appreciate you coming on to talk and give us a life sketch. Uh, I've asked Corey to, to come on again, so I hope you'll come on again. Sure. Yeah. So, um, fun. If if there are any questions, you can find Corey on Facebook. She's in a lot of the feminist groups, but I just think it's really great. She's helping bring a voice to these women. And so I've learned some new things too. I did not know about the laudanum and I didn't know, I didn't know about uh, some of her experiences coming west. So thank you for that. Sure. Thanks for having me. No, it's just, it was fun to kind of give me a, a, some, a focus to look at. You find, interesting stories when you're you're not looking in all your usual places well i've joked with Corey that we need to write a book and compile all this stuff because she's a lot of fun you're a lot of fun so oh thanks you too <laughs> so it would be fun to get digging in there well i'm gonna put you to work again don't worry how oh, cool <laughs> fun so thanks for listening to another episode of the feminist mormon housewives podcast